All right, there we go. So, Jamie, we were talking about brain chemistry and, and all of that uh, and uh, kind of being cursed with um, our instincts. And I said, yes, that for most people, the instincts uh, are a curse. It's almost like uh, uh, owning a wild dog or a wild animal uh, that we really can't control or contain at all. Uh, and so we become afraid of it. In fact, uh, we become the dog's number one enemy in his life. And so uh, we, that's what we live our lives like, is if we've got a dog in the backyard that's just growling and vicious and angry and horny and all of that kind of stuff. And it's that area of the brain that I was mm. talking about. <laughs> this is the backyard <laughs> of the brain. <laughs> Yeah, that that uh, snarling beast in the backyard is in the anterior cortex of the human brain. Subcortical, I would say. I would say. Pardon? Subcortical. Um, yeah, I think the the anterior cortex is mainly visual, but then underneath that you have all of the older structures. Uh, the right. cortex is the newest part of the brain. Mm -hmm. Right. All of this up here. Yeah. All of this pattern matching stuff on the outside. Well, it's also interesting that they talk about the cerebellum as being mm. the source and the place of memories and that the human, cere the, the, <laughs> how do you say it? Uh, the cerebellum on the human skull is structured differently and much bigger than it is, for instance, on a monkey or a dog which means that we store so much more than they do. We would almost think that the reason why humans have so much good memory is not because of the cortex, even the mid-cortex where we learn and store languages and concepts, but it's the fact that it's part of the back part of the brain that where we do all the storage of memories, which means that they get, um, let us say, referenced by putting it into place as a form of a memory through all of this uh, animal. So our memory systems actually are influenced by the, that snarling dog when it goes in, when it's there, and when it comes back out. Especially when it comes back out. Back out. This is what the Buddha refers to as the Samkara. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is that the way that we've stored memories is not properly cataloged like a library or the way that we organize files on a computer that is really considered like a pile. Mm -hmm. Imagine all of the books that you had actually had individual pages that would come out and now you've had a whirlwind come through the room and all the pages are all over the floor. That's how we store memory in, in the human mind. So we're li as likely to pick up the wrong sheet of paper as we are to pick up the right one because we don't have a good filing system. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, um, if I could just uh, say, I mean, I haven't heard that the cerebellum is, is used for, for memory as such. It's more to do with coordination. Uh, 
and you kind of coordinating your movements. Memory. Okay, I assume, yeah, then yes, there must be memory okay, encoded so in there right, as to the balance of, of your memory. body. Yes, I'm down there at the, at the uh, this is in fact the bodily Sankaras. And so it will be the cerebellum that's affected when a musician uh, learns a new piece of music. Or when the karate master learns new judo, that uh, it's, the, it's the body connection, it's mm -hmm. the wiring to the body that is so much of our memory systems is built in there. Mm-hmm. And so that built in or that building in or the collection of the software that's that's put in there also is mixed with flashes of memory of the event that happened if you have a particular pain or something like this, that there is both a feeling and a visual or perhaps a verbal or sound mixed together in as a form of a memory. Mm -hmm. Okay, and the way that we feel is often stored like that into the sense that now the memories of how we are supposed to feel in a certain way, like on Sunday morning when you go to church, you feel a particular way because that's been the habit that's been ingrained in there, and you don't feel that way on Saturday night, but you know how to feel on Saturday night. So the way that we feel and the way that we act all of these memories are in there, like the um, way that we respond to a loud noise now is the same way that we felt uh, responded to loud noises when we were a child, unless we wake up and start making some changes in there. Mm. Okay, so this is what we're really getting at, is that the human mind is a storage pot that puts together events and feelings and, and memories and things like that such that they get us into a rut mm -hmm. uh, and we keep feeling the same way over and over again so yeah okay so you you have ignorance and then you get sankaras that are conditioned by ignorance so you right. you actually you, you could say that the ignorance is, is that we don't know how to store memories correctly. How so? Well, when someone does get their mind organized, in fact, this is uh, uh, kind of well known in Thailand and also it's supported by the suttas. And it's certainly something that I can uh, uh, have some familiarity with, and that is, is that after perhaps years of meditation or whatever, and calming and whatnot, and reconnecting the way that we feel, etc., like that, then our childhood just opens up. We can remember the whole darn thing. I can give. I, it will take me ten years. No, yeah. Well, it would take me ten years to tell you about the first ten years of my life. That's the kind of detail. That is there, especially the stuff that was really early. Now, a lot of the reasons why people uh, uh, actually have trouble with memorying is that they live in the same house for year after year after year after year after year, and they don't have much of a structural frame reference. But like myself, from from the age of about seven, we moved every year until I was out of high school. 
And so I have new towns, new references, new friends, new enemies, new everything in order to, to play, peg that stuff into. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so when I was in that age at that particular time, I remember all of those kind of people and these kind of things happened and all of that kind of stuff. All right, and that's the kind of memories that we can bring back. A lot of people say they don't remember anything before the age of six. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. But I remember riding in Dr. Young's airplane at the age of four. He was the same doctor. In fact, I knew him well. He was the first dude I met on the planet Earth. Get ready for a joke. There I was in my hot tub swimming pool, nice and warm with all the grub that I needed. And all of a sudden the earthquake happened, the bottom dropped out. The next thing I know is there's the, all these bright lights and this Dr. Young is holding me up by the heels. And he hit me in the butt so hard I let out a yell and I didn't stop screaming until I was 35 years old. <laughs> And a lot of us have that kind of experience, but very few people remember it. I remember that uh, this is one that's very interesting because I remember both the day that my sister came out of the hospital when she was first born. And that when I was standing there watching that, it, it, that was when I reflected back that I knew when I was born. And at the age of three, I could remember when I was born. And I remember the event and why it happened. So now the thread is, is that I go to the fact that I can remember the day and what it was like in the car and mom bringing it out and the drizzling of the day. And there I am standing at three years old and says, hot dog, I've seen this before. <laughs> <laughs> and most of that stuff is just lost to us. Part of the reason for it is, is because it's covered up with trauma. But the trauma is too big for us to remember what how how nice it was to be that young, that innocent, that wide-eyed, and that open, and just taking in data like this, you know. Mm. And so most of us don't remember that kind of stuff because um, that when we drag up these feelings, we drag up the misery um, automatically, and so we can't just chart chasing things down and figuring out what was going on back then. But when you're sitting in the woods with no place to go and nothing to do and all your present stuff is cleaned out, now we can go back and we can take a look at that really old stuff and, and recognize that you can remember about everything that you ever saw. Mm -hmm. As long as it's clean, clean memories not junked up memories with uh, uh, with feelings and emotions and all of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Because normally what happens is we go back to one memory and there we find our dukkha, now poor me. And then the memory kind of stops after that. We don't go any deeper because we're figuring that we'll just get more bad feelings by going back into it. This is actually the, uh, the reason why uh, the Buddha recommends don't go into the past to stay in the present moment because the, the so much dukkha memories, bad feelings are associated with the events that we could remember cleanly if we knew how to remember them cleanly. But mm -hmm. instead, we remember all the old stuff with dirt. 
I once uh, I once did a practice where uh, it involved remembering your past and remembering events in which you got bad feelings. You got some resentment or misery about something that happened and re- going in and while thinking about that memory generating a sense of love and generating a love for that person who the memory's about and just replacing it mm-hmm. um right exactly replace the way we feel about the old resentments and the old memories and the old bullies and the old bad grades <laughs> Just, just replace them with, hey, yeah, I remember that. It's, uh, you don't want to, it's, it seems really good, but there's a, maybe a slight fear that you'll lose some sort of discernment regarding your past experiences. If you just regard, or, or your present choices and options, if you replace everything with, you know, good feelings, happiness, joy, what, basis do you have to make decisions you know what basis do you have to to live your that life is the basis of the decisions okay once you understand that the teaching of the buddha is dukkha dukkha naroda so you've already made a discernment as to what is dukkha and what is not and the better skilled you get and to that the more you recognize that things are okay the way that they are. There's no real dukkha there. I was the one who was adding the dukkha out of my knapsack of the past. Back, back here. <laughs> Hang on a second. <coughs> so, um, that's that's the whole idea then in fact when you say that it uh there there was an old movie by the way that's exactly what you're talking about the old movie was named pollyanna have you ever heard of the concept of pollyanna no it rings a bell but okay well pollyanna the uh the movie is about the girl who uh she came to live with fairly wealthy relatives and she was bright and shiny and joyful and nothing would get her down and she'd see the bright side of all kinds of things right through the movie until two-thirds into the movie she's riding a horse and uh, has a major accident and gets crippled for the rest of her life and this back in the old days and so they didn't have much towards uh wheelchairs there and all of the women in town would gossip oh well now we'll get her down to human <laughs> level where everything's a pile of shit. <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> and she wouldn't go down there with him. She was still just effervescent and happy all the way through the end of the movie. And this is called Pollyanna. And the uh, the downside of the Pollyanna is is that people just can't see the problems. But that's the whole point of the teaching of the Buddha is to become like Pollyanna. She's the one who enjoyed her life, even getting crippled. <laughs> that was okay. She's winning. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So by looking at it from that, begin to discern in the mind then what is, in fact, the dukkha. Is our naysaying, our aggravations, our desires and wanting stuff. And that's all done out of the ignorance from the childhood that we were taught to be greedy as children. That in fact, here's something that's kind of interesting. 
is, is that you actually mentioned this in the sense that when we're really kids, human beings are born and would remain barbarians, especially if they were uh, raised outright with, let us say, a group of monkeys or actually barbarians or whatever like that. But in Western society, our job in society is to train that little barbarian. But in fact, you probably heard about this in psychology, the terrible twos. Uh, yeah, I've heard the phrase. Yeah, right. You, this is what it is. At about the age of two, the child learns a very important word, and that, that word is no. <laughs> no! <laughs> and, and a lot of it in the old days, because uh, uh, of the psychologist, a book was written by Dr. Spock, it wound up being body training, and you wound up having a whole generation of boomers now who are constipated because they, at the age of two, refused to give mommy what she wanted. You sit on that pot until you deliver. And the kid's saying, oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there's that shining little barbarian that we have in, in ourselves that we are wild. And mm -hmm. part of society is supposed to train us. Train us. Mm. Okay. And guess what? They kind of overdo the job. <laughs> A little dab will do you. But they overtrain us into you do what you're told to do. You sit down and you do your homework right now. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get this stick or something out and make sure that you do what you're told to do. Go clean your room. Okay. And so they, they, they kind of press that little barbarian that we have inside, that playful um, uh, stand of <clears throat> kind of confidence. A lot of people get uh, confused about self, and we'll talk about that, but right now I'm looking at the, the, the very best part of the playful little child the little girl who will pull the arms off of even an expensive doll and the legs and pull the head off to get the dress off because she wants to put a new dress on. Okay, that's what we do as children is that we destroy our toys. My sister one time gave one of her dogs a haircut, one of the really expensive dogs with hair, all of that, like it was a real wig or whatever, and she gave that doll a haircut. And when her mom said something about it, she says, well, the hair will grow back. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this is how we are in childhood. And a lot of what society's job is, is to stuff us back into some box. Mm. And we do get stuffed into that box. And that box then can have a label on it called a victim that we were born as a victim, we couldn't take care of ourselves, and then all of a sudden we had a fresh joy of life that lasted somewhere between about 18 or so months up until about the age of three. Then the kids, you know, and then they want to stuff that kid back into the box, making what they think is human. So that's when the training starts. So we're all born in the lap of luxury in the sense of um, nurturing, that if a baby is not nurtured and cared for, he'll die. So because you've made it, that proves to me that you got the nurturing that you needed when you were a tender infant. 
-hmm. Then when you got your little bit of mojo going, you expressed it because you felt safe and secure in that nurturing environment. That's when the tables change. When the society and mom and the belt and the spankings and all of that stuff show up. The orders and the laws. And so now we wind up doing that way, being dumb animals for many, many years. And it's not always that uh, as intense as a as a belt or a spanking or even a shouting, because eventually it just becomes a very subtle disapproval or, you know, a little a glance. And that's enough to make you feel really bad, really guilty. <laughs> You're like, oh, no. Well, part of and... that has to do with if I self-punish, if I already feel bad, then I can devote your mercy. Mm. Okay. Oh, please have mercy on me. Oh, please, mm -hmm. I'm guilt. I'm I'm sorry, Your Honor. I'm sorry. Give me a lighter sentence because I'm so sorry. When you come back and the dog has got in the bin or something, and the dog or the dog has done a poo <laughs> on the floor, <laughs> and the dog is like, "Oh no, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry." Exactly right. They know when they've been. Uh, uh, <laughs> Exactly so. Um, did I see that with the dogs here? We got a new puppy in the house, and she does exactly that behavior to the big dogs. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, yes, it's built that deeply into our genes. And so that part of it is taken over then, that part of us that we are so desperate to fit in, that's called the herding or the uh, nesting instinct. Because if we're thrown out of the nest, we'll surely die. If we're not part of the herd, then we're an outcast. We're surely going to get eaten first. And so it's a survival instinct, then, that becomes the nesting instinct, which makes us cower to the boss, <clears throat> hoping someday I'll be the boss. Because it appears that the boss has power, and therefore it is not, um, let's say, experience the fear and the guilt that I am. Well, guess what? The boss is the boss thinking that that'll help him not feel that way, but this is the way that he feels anyway. Feels like he's got to control the situation because if things get out of hand, he'll lose his status, and now he's back down with everyone else. And so that's the human condition. Whether you're on the bottom of the pile or the top of the pile, you're still afraid about that pile of humanity society. Some societies of humanity are not so much like that. Yes, Thailand does have definitely there's a hierarchy there. There's also another part of the society that's much more like a network. It's who your friends are, who your family can back you up and take care of you. Uh, and so uh, main point though is that we feel the same way that we felt over and over and over again, year after year after year, it's not only a memory about how to feel, but it had both instinctual components and sociological components in it. But the one thing that's most important about it for us is that we built up that system ignorantly. Mm. And with wisdom, we can build it any way we want to. Yeah. That's ah. what it's all about. One's the dukkha. 
okay, the way things had been, that we built up of all, all of that time, and we did so ignorantly, and now we're going to have Dukkha Naroda through wisdom. Recognize what happened. Mm-hmm. Be programmed. So, so I've I've been noticing this with the Anapanasati practice, is I can get myself into a really good state if I sit for five ten minutes. Yeah, I can get can, up and I you feel can do like that when you first started. When I told you about it, you didn't believe me. <laughs> it, it it has to be done and experienced. And I saw your eyes as an expression of yeah, that's it. <laughs> So good. Congratulations. Keep practicing. You ain't seen nothing yet. That's a good <laughs> joke, by the way. <laughs> I haven't used that joke in so many years. You ain't, you seen, ain't nothing. seen nothing yet. Do you know what that means? Uh, I get it. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> you see how good nothing is. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so, but this is the practice. Now that you've had a taste of it, now you know that you can, that you're successful, that you can do this. And that's kind of rewiring, because in before you had the automatic attitude of, oh, nothing's working. Are you fighting against the tide? Or are you fighting against the flood? It seems really Im- you're impossible. The one who built that tide, it's your gravity, you know. <laughs> and you did that at such a deep level of the DNA, we don't even know it. It's completely invisible to us that that many of the psychologists called it the subconscious, as if something existed like that. No, it's not subconscious when you're looking directly at it. Is conscious then when we're paying attention to it, when yes. we can see it. Right. Mm-hmm. So you go looking for it, you'll find it. And then it's not subconscious anymore. You can see that stuff arising directly. Mm-hmm. An example of that is somebody comes in meditation or after he's practiced, he comes and says, oh, well, when I'm meditating, I feel a lot of anxiety. Uh-huh. Okay. So the first question is, is that old or new? And they hem and haw around and begin to say and admit, yeah, it's old. Been there before. Had that before. <laughs> Next one would be is um, why anxiety now? Is it simply because you're sitting and because you're sitting in quiet that the anxiety that's normally there now becomes manifest? Or is it something that you're doing in meditation that causes the anxiety to come back? Mm. And generally, they say, no, sometimes when I start, I don't feel it at all. And it says, aha, so what you're doing is you're actually talking yourself into anxiety and you don't even see those thoughts yet. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. You'll have a flash of maybe it's some, in fact, it can be like this. Many people will use the computer screens with different colors for different applications, and various applications have colors and things on the screen. And many of them you can program in. And so the example I'm using is is that on one of the screens I have for the email, the background and motif 
has a lot of dark reds in it, brown, that kind of teeth and color. And so I know that I can actually just flash that screen, those colors of red and brown up, and it will evict something immediately that is that fast, about a tenth of a second, just a flash. So it can be a flash of color, it can be a clear image, it can be a thought of, I gotta do something, or any of that kind of stuff. And that's what will then kick off the anxiety, which is very much like that that thought itself sort of kicks the amygdala in the ear, it punches the hypocampus, the hypocampus grabs hold of the pituitary glands and squeezes them like a set of fringes uh, or something, and that pumps that information right down to the adrenal gland, which is sitting right on top of the kidneys to get his junk, and there he is, manufactures all of this poison called adrenaline and throws it right into the bloodstream. And people mm -hmm. are not even aware that that's happening until all of that adrenaline is already in the bloodstream and they're having tight chest and tight muscles and tensions and headaches and all kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. But if you recognize that all got started from a flash of a color, then we can say, aha, I saw that. I can actually see that sequence of events that's happening that brings on that tension and anxiety. Mm -hmm. When we can see it at that level, that means that we own it. It's ours. We can see what's going on inside one's own mind. That flash caused that anxiety, which means now I can stop flashing that or just laugh at the fact that that's what happened. The laughter enough is, is enough to put out that fire. Ha ha, I see that. But mostly what happens is that it gets drilled in and builds up. And so the human has a huge amount of adrenaline. Here's mm -hmm. an example of that. The guy is sitting at his desk and he's kind of worried about his job. And all of a sudden he looks out of the corner of his eye and he sees the boss walking down the hall. And here comes all of that adrenaline rush that we have, and we get anxious and uptight, and we start to do things on the desk or whatever like that. And uh, the thing of it is, though, is that this is a very, very old, deeply buried DNA thing, almost like a very primitive human, hundreds of thousands of years ago, sees a rhinoceros. And he freezes with the idea that if he doesn't see me, I'm okay. But if he comes, do I fight him or do I run away? Well, now we're doing in that same situation with our boss, just walking down the hall, just, you know, but it's the same circumstance. Mm -hmm. And we have all this adrenaline coming in that's ready for a fight or a flight. Guess what? It's not a good idea to get up and run away from your boss. <laughs> It's also not, not a good idea, idea to, to punch him either. With him. <laughs> and so what are we going to do with all this adrenaline? We're sitting there at the desk and we're all, to, you know, and the, the boss knows that. Freeze. We freeze, exactly. And here we are just uh, adrenaline junkies. <laughs> Because we don't know that this boss is walking down the hall is actually our best friend. Oh, hi, Jim. I'm so glad to see you. You know, I've been having a little trouble with this problem. But anyway, I'll get that done. The best thing is I'm so glad to see you. But that's hard to say 
when you're so uptight. Mm. Mm. So, so we actually need to practice Anapanasati for that adrenaline when it comes to us in meditation or whatever else. I mean, I've got a whole long list of stuff that we can start thinking so that we can learn to control it in private, on our own, and get a good handle on being able to make friends inside and stop having the kinds of thoughts that bring us into that state of uh, anxiety. We start having nurturing thoughts. In a way, take us back to the time that we were in diapers, just toddlers. Everything around us is a marvelous story to play with. Even this boss coming down the hall. Yeah, I know him. And so this is a new new way of thinking, but we have to practice it on our own in seclusion. Make friends with ourselves inside. Let it be okay. Stop looking at all the mistakes that we've made and then re-punishing ourselves for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Start thinking about how nice things are right now. Mm-hmm. When you really see how nice things are right now, you can visit some of those old memories, but this time not with an air of repunishing ourselves, but to nurture ourselves. Yeah, that's not who I am anymore. That was okay that that happened, but I'm really glad I'm in the state that I am now, so that may have been part of the training anyway. So we just... I'm friends with everything. So this is the whole idea then, is to become friends, first with yourself, then with everybody else. You can't be friends with yourself. There's something wrong with the way that we're friends with other people, because we mm-hmm. criticize them, too, rather than nurture them. Yeah. Hmm. So this is the real practice of Anapanasati, is to go through that sequence of, to wake up and remember, to look at the kind of thoughts that we have, determining whether those are wholesome or unwholesome. And if they are already wholesome, because many times they are, then congratulate ourselves directly for already having a wholesome thought. But if it's an unwholesome thought, aha, I see that one, gotcha. (laughs) And out you go. Make mm-hmm. the right effort to throw it out, to to love it, and let go of it. As opposed to, oh, you're here again, I'm going to beat the hell out of you this time kind of memory. We have mm-hmm. It's our attitude about our memories. And when we start to love the them, then we can remember better. And when we are terrified by our memories, and I don't think of anything else that could possibly terrify you other than your own memories. I mean, look at all the wrong things that you've done that you're bound to get punished for someday. <laughs> so why not take a, an advanced trip and start punishing ourselves right now? Okay. And so another way of saying it is to forgive yourself for all of the wrongs, all of the bads, all of the stuff that doesn't matter. Anyway, let the past go. Enjoy this moment, this thought. Mm. 
so we keep practicing this over and wake up, take a look at what you're doing, make a change, congratulate yourself. That's the Eightfold uh, um, uh, Noble Path, the first four items on it. Then if we do those four things over, over again, practicing Anapanasati, that actually the body and the breath, which is a part of this, I mean, a lot of the memories that we have are bodily memories. And so we have to bring the body into it also. In fact, how is somebody even going to know that they're all tensed up if they can't feel it? So we want to also include body, to bring the body into the practice. Mm -hmm. And there's another quality to it, and that is, is that if we can learn to control our breathing so that we're breathing more wholesomely, in order to do that, we're also controlling the mind by keeping the mind focused on the breathing, while any spare thoughts that are around are the spare thoughts of, wow, this is so nice. Start watching. Is this an in-breath? Is it a long in-breath? Is it an out-breath? Is it a long out-breath? And that also automatically triggers us into being in this present moment. No one thinks about a breath that you've had in the past. You don't hardly remember any of them, maybe one or two or three. So we can't even focus on a breath of the past. The only breath we can focus on is this one. So we begin to point down to this breath. Can I maintain my mind wholesomely while I breathe in long? Can I maintain my mind wholesomely while I breathe out long? And just enjoy the show. Begin to recognize that by doing this, we're not spending so much energy up here. We're beginning to put it in the eyes, in the ears, in the body in general. Wake the whole body up. But the greens become greener. Beautiful music becomes even more beautiful because we're really experiencing it through the body rather than the mind reinterpreting it and comparing it with something that happened in the past. And that's what we mean by being in the present moment, but really so in the sense that you're directly in the senses and experiencing how marvelous it is to just sit here and be alive, breathing. So when we're talking to ourselves directly and practicing and getting the body energized and feeling good, that means that uh, we will fairly soon start to be able to control the way we feel. And the way that we're going to, uh, most people want to feel, actually is the definition of sukha, which is exactly opposite of sukha. Mm -hmm. So basically, one of the ways you want to feel is safe and secure. Not afraid. But feeling safe and secure. Let us say well-protected not well armed, just well mm -hmm. protected. Okay. So, in the room that you're in right now, actually you are well protected by the walls, that you actually are in a safe place. So allow yourself with the actual intellectual knowledge that you're in a safe place to let yourself feel safe. <laughs> 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 oh, did it. 
And that also has to do with a great big breath of relief. I can feel safe. And so then the next one would be safe, secure, and then comfortable. But an important part of meditation is, is that the body's comfortable. Sitting up erect is a very comfortable posture to be in over a long period of time as opposed to slumped over. But the Buddha didn't have too much reclining chairs back then. <laughs> but the whole idea of cross-legged is something that the Asians do all their lives and the Westerners are taken off the floor and putting on, put on furniture. And so sitting cross-legged does not engender comfort to Westerner. Mm-hmm. Got a whole lot of practice. Been there, done that. So I don't recommend doing that work in the sense of sitting when the body is uncomfortable, but to pay attention to the body to make sure that you're still comfortable, safe, secure. Okay, so I went on a meditation retreat uh you know a few years ago and i was sitting and i in the first few days i was really enjoying myself i was having a great time i was just so happy to be sitting there watching the breath um and after a few days sitting on my like wooden bench started to become so painful but i kept forcing myself to sit there through the pain and say Oh, well, you know, if I can be equanimous with the pain, then it's fine. So I should just sit yeah, here and you have the skills, but you don't have the skills to be equanimous with the pain. That's <laughs> that... I know. Okay. Imagine it like this, then that kind of pain is like the 250 pound dumbbells. Like 100, 150, 200 kilo dumbbells, right? Uh, barbells, they call it. Barbells, not the dumbbells. Dumbbell is one. Okay. And you as a scrawny kid come in and want to lift weights. What do the kids do? They immediately go to the 250 pound <laughs> barbells and they can't lift them at all. Mm-hmm. That's what happens to students in the meditation is after a few days, they get really uncomfortable with no way out of it, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're supposed to do that. So there you are, young raw recruit, with your hands on you know, 250 pounds of book, you can't lift it. It started, it started causing me to like twitch with and like nearly jump up because there was clearly some part of me saying, please, let's stop. <laughs> let's yes, stop exactly. this pain. And another and part of me that was saying that that's regard. like the parent figure being like, no, no, we have to sit here and be good. <laughs> and, and what the body is saying, you've already been good for enough. Now you've gone, now you're going overboard. Remember that the Buddha's path is a metal path. We have to prepare ourselves for the heavy load. And in fact, you will have heavy loads in life. This is one of the ways of preparing for them, but we prepare lightly. Even running a marathon is practiced by walking. Mm-hmm. Tai Chi is done by slowing down. 
Okay, so this is another way. In fact, a lot of martial arts start with doing the same thing over and over and over again. So, in fact, that's what Zen is really all about, is repetitive, repetitive over and the Zen artist, for instance, has a very stylized, very heavily practiced method of reaching over his shoulder while he's pulling the bow up, taking the arrow and launching it, as he then pulls his left arm down to open the bow while the arrow is now at the eye level so that he can let it go, or in the Zen case, let it go this way. And that has to be done very fast. So those drugs are really heavy. So you don't see Zen taking aim. They don't have time to aim. They're going to point that arrow in the direction of the target and let it go and find its own way to the target. What the archer has done is launch that arrow directly. Once the arrow is on the, in the air, it's on its own. That's a really profound teaching. Every word you speak, exactly like that. Every arrow we launch, once it's out of the mouth, it's gone. So mm -hmm. it's gone now. So the Western ar uh, archer is going to stand there to look to see if it's hit the target. Zen, part of the Zen is to not pay attention to the target at all. Never did pay any attention to the target other than to draw the bow down with this with this method of mm -hmm. and now we put the bow or we set our stuff or we just walk off the exhibition stage that's part of it if the guy really cares where the arrow went he loses points in that uh, actually it's not that I, I take that back there is no competition this is always just an exhibition all of the scorekeeping is in the mind of the individuals who watch what's happening. The target and where the arrow lands, not so important as was it launched correctly. So we can think of this as that's just Anapanasati right there. We're going to keep practicing over and over again until we know exactly where that arrow is. We can pluck it right out and take exactly the right effort and we're finished. And now all we have to do is happily walk off stage. That's Anapanasati for you right there. That's another example of it. Is um, mindfully, or what we mean by mindfully, is to look at what we're doing. Keep repeating it over and over and over again. Check to see if it's wholesome or unwholesome. And then make a correction so that every movement is wholesome. You know something? Tennis does exactly the same thing. If somebody just keeps hitting balls and hitting balls and hitting balls and hitting balls, they're not going to get any better. They're chasing all over the court. No, what they need to do is to be able to stand there and manage whatever comes. This is also table tennis, um, actual tennis. Another one is golf. It's all in the swing. So they keep practicing that swing over and over and over again because once you finish the swing, the ball's in the air and you don't have much control over it. It's got wind and gravity and various forces. 
too complicated to talk about. Spin of the ball and how it was hit and all of that needs to be practiced. Get really skilled at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I noticed um, when uh, I play. I play a lot of chess online, and uh, I noticed I might stop. I might quit because <laughs> yesterday I was, you know, doing a bit of meditation. I was feeling good, and then I started playing chess. And lost the game of chess, and at the end of the game, I'm like, "Oh no, I've screwed it up!" Like I was winning, and then I just missed the opportunity, and ah, and it's like, "Oh wow, well this this seems like a stupid habit to have because yes. now wakey, wakey. congratulations, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but if you can play games that are non-competitive. An example of that would you can say that all oh, well whatever color that I'm playing in chess I'm the master here I'm going to let this idiot beat me in order to teach him chess. <laughs> Your attitude has changed, so it doesn't matter whether you win or lose. It's how you play the game. <laughs> I regularly, when I was teaching my daughter how to play checkers, I'd let her run all the time. Your friend that's, that uh, that uh, is beating you loves you all the more, and he'll hate you if you win. He felt exactly the way that you felt. <laughs> so tre- treat chess as a toy to play with, with the moving experiments to figure out what happens and begin to learn his method by seeing what his attacks are like and what he likes to do. And let him mm-hmm. win. And mm-hmm. enjoy letting him win. Now, that's the way to play the game, where it's still a game. See, it, it, somewhere along the way, chess stopped being a game for you and started being important. Mm-hmm. It's the I same. The, the chess game. If the chess game is lost, so am I. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um... It's the same thing happened when I started meditating with, uh, when I first started, I started with the Mind Illuminated book by Chuladasa. And um, it was terrible. It was really bad <laughs> for me because I just was so goal oriented that every sit that I had, every meditation was like, did I get up to my level? Did I did I meet my goals? And then if I didn't, then I'd feel slightly frustrated. And it would just be constantly, it's like going to work. Like you sit down and you're like, oh, I'm not hitting, I'm not hitting what I should be doing. And uh, it's just rubbish. Whereas if I sit down and I just say, what are the hindrances in the mind right now? And can I do something about it? Well, great. Then even if I'm not hitting my level or whatever, I'm still having a good time. <laughs> well, that's the level that you're having is to have a good time. Didn't didn't Chula Dasa put that as step one, have a good time. Step two, have a good time. Step three, <laughs> really have a good time. Step four, rinse and repeat. <laughs> Those are the steps that we need to go through. Mm-hmm. Is the steps that it takes to, to really know that you've got it. 
the only way that you're going to get that is by doing it correctly over and over and over and over and over again until it becomes a habit. Just like all of the other stuff you were doing over and over and over again until it became a habit. Yeah, like like playing chess and getting frustrated. <laughs> like playing chess and getting frustrated. So now you have to play it over and over again and like and getting beat. <laughs> So when you start playing chess and then you start getting frustrated, you say, ah, I see you frustration in this chess game. It's a game already. <laughs> Enjoy it. It doesn't matter whether you screwed up or move or not. But in fact, if you screw up and you know you screwed up and you like it and you can see what happens, all of that, you're not going to screw up like that next time. But if you hate it, you'll wind up doing it again. <laughs> yes, like you want to review the games that you won because you want to be like, wow, I'm so good. You don't want to review the games you lost because it hurts. You look at it and you're like, oh, why right. did I do that? Like, that's the way to start here. The way that we're talking about start reviewing the games that you lost and get a great big kick. Out. Oh, I see what happens there. Mm -hmm. Enjoyment seems to be the first step to anything. Well, you know, like an important step along the way. I guess in a way you could say, oh no, you have to both remember to and then take the effort to enjoy it because you're not used to doing that. Pretty soon the joy will be just the automatic response. Mm -hmm. Because you've got a new habit going now rather than the old habit. Such a good habit. <laughs> it's really, really good. Mm -hmm. So this is the way of practicing Anapanasati, is to look at what, remember, look at what you're doing and making a change. So now that you're looking, you remember to look at your chest and recognizing that, oh, I feel bad when I play for keeps. Let me make a change and turn it back into a game. Now you can congratulate yourself with every move. Okay, um, so there's certain times uh, where it feels like the right effort is the bit that fails. Like, so I'll wake up in the morning, that's one time, or um, I'll be doing something, I'll be scrolling some social media or something, and I'll remember like, oh, maybe I should be meditating, or maybe I should be gladdening the mind right now. But well, then it right feels really it, hard. Okay. I've heard this before. The only difference was he was using the word YouTube. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. But the point is, is that the student has the idea, I ought to be meditating right now. And then it comes with, wait a minute, I want to do what I'm doing now, mommy. And mommy comes in and says, you do what I told you to do. And now you're in a war within your own mind. Okay. Here's a better way to do it. You ought to be meditating right now. Hot diggity dog, that's a good idea. Let me play and meditate. <laughs> Hot diggity dog, that's a good idea is the right response. Let's do that right now. Let's take a deep breath and be happy and comfortable right now. The danger of making these things into a new rule, we're working on getting out of rules. <laughs> Yeah. So when that so when that sake came up, ah, oh, this is meditation moment, then take him up on it rather than getting into this war between the rule keeper, mommy, and all of this stuff that we've been talking about that's in the back part of the brain about the feelings. 
Victimization. Oh, if I have to go meditate right now, I'll be a victim. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the answer to that is no, I'm not a victim. I can take a deep breath right now. I can sit here and put my mind in a really, really good state. And I might even feel so good that I'll put down whatever it was that I was putting in breath. I wasn't really paying that much attention to that video anyway. It was a Damarato video or something. Let me sit here and feel. <laughs> mm, I think so clearly, right? You have the thoughts. Thoughts are fast. You can you can change your thought very quickly, and then you have underlying the body and the way the body feels and like how agitated or angry you are. And that's a slower strata um, underneath. So when you when you wake up and you've been having some sort of dream, which was probably filled with like desire or aversion or something like that, you wake up with all of this like stuff in the body. And so you can have a thought like, oh, I could, I can wake up, uh, you know, I can see that I'm having unwholesome thoughts right now. But then sometimes you look at the body and you're like, the body doesn't feel good right now. The body feels quite stressed. Right, because for one thing, you're carrying a big load, it's heavy on you, and number two, it's hard to breathe. So we have to take that right effort to get that oxygen going, getting the breathing back up. Now, let's go to dreaming. Uh, I have experienced and have read that dreams fall into two classifications. One is the classification that I'm running from something. I'm running to something, but I'm kind of being chased. So the whole dream is about, oh, I got away that time, and oh, I got through that time, and that kind of stuff. The other kind of dream is when we're going looking for something. An example of that is, is that I'm in the junkyard looking for motorcycle parts. Mm -hmm. So the dream is going around looking and looking for something that I want, but I never find, quite find what it is that I'm looking for. Right? So those are the two kinds of dreams. Guess what? One of them is greed. The other one is ill will. Mm -hmm. Greed is going around looking for something. So we're so the dreams have to do with out searching, looking, trying to find something. And the other, which this is very primitive stuff that happens in the brain, like getting chased. How many times have you ever actually been chased? <laughs> well, not many. <laughs> Maybe in your whole life. <laughs> But getting chased is built into our DNA. And it comes up in our dreams. Our terrors, the things that we're afraid of, in the dream, we're trying to escape from it while it's bearing down on us. So next time you have a dream, wake up and say, hey, what kind of dream is this? Is this a getting chased dream or is this a looking for something we can't find dream? Because that waking up is the removal of the ignorance, right then and there. And then that dream belongs to you, and you can do anything you want to that dream, like set it down and go back to sleep, analyze it. Mm. 
Yeah, there was a time when I... I had this dream before, because we can begin to remember that many of the dreams are repetitive because we didn't get the problem solved. We go into dream world to try to solve that problem again. So many of them are life situations. Like if you've got got problems with your boss, you'll probably have some animal chasing you in your dream. Or if you saw that hot young chick down at the store, then that night you may have uh, uh, a dream of looking for data on your computer or looking for your airplane to ride in. Airport dreams. <laughs> for your plane. Okay? Those are the kind of dreams that we have depending upon what happened during the day. Mm-hmm. When nothing happens all day long, you're unlikely to have much of a dream. This is part of the reason why the Buddha doesn't hold much for dreams. Basically, what the Buddha would say was, wake up. <laughs> you don't need to sit there uh, in an ignorant dream running through symbology. You don't even remember quite understand when you wake up. Let's just go ahead and wake up out of those dreams. Ain't anything. You see, back in the old days, uh, almost everywhere in the world, dreams were prophetic. They mm-hmm. foretold the future, right? There's really good reason for that. It's true, in fact. Okay. Go through this sequence with me. What you feel and think becomes your speech, and what you say becomes your actions, and what your actions become your habits, and what your habits become your destiny. And here you are dreaming your way into your own destiny. Getting caught. And not being able to find what you're looking for. Something like that. Mm, it reflects your habits. Reflects what you did in the day. What you do. So their dreams can be good teachers. But the best way to learn anything from the dream is grab it by the throat and own it. And you modify it. And you wake up out of the night with, ah, I saw that one. <laughs> but in fact, that's something also to recognize that during the night, we often wake up several times that in fact is part of our deep ancestry. But in the frozen north, you got to wake up in the night to make sure the fire is still going or the whole family would be frozen before they wake up. And all kinds of other things like that. Like, uh, it's raining right now. Is our uh, TP or tent or whatever going to be able to withstand the night? You see, now humanity has gotten such good housing <laughs> that we don't bother about the dangers that happen all night long the way that we used to in the old days. So it's quite natural for us to still wake up in the night without noise or anything like that. So when you, if you do wake up in the night, know that you're woken up in the night. Catch that mm-hmm. record. Yeah, I don't even care what time it is, but I did wake up then. Yes, yeah, I'm always, uh, well, my experience of meditating in bed in the past, if I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm awake in bed, you know, it's time to go to sleep. 
let me focus on the breath or whatever. I think I spent so much time trying to make my meditations really vivid, sensory clarity, very awake. That is, you know, I'll just lie there for hours <laughs> and then I'll start to be like, oh, damn, I'm missing out on a lot of sleep right now. Okay. Guess what? You are watching a kind of a television when, in fact, you could be at the live concert. Now, what do I mean by that? Okay. That when you're having these vivid images and whatnot in bed, also pay attention to the sheets, covers, the feeling of the bed how nice you feel when you're laying down come into the present moment start experiencing your breathing having thoughts like wow i do feel safe and secure so so nice then if this is early in the evening before we go to bed we can have thoughts like you know i don't really have to go to sleep right now but i just enjoy the breathing this is nice. No place to go and nothing to do. And I can just lay here, relax. With that, it's fairly easy to go to sleep. And we do basically the same thing in the morning. We can wake up with, you know, days, today's going to be a good day. All I need is a reason to get out of bed. And since I don't have any reason to get out of bed yet, I don't have to. And I'll just sit here and know that whatever reason it is that I get out of bed, I can handle it. I've got it wired. Whatever I need to get out of bed for, I can handle it. I can easily get out of bed. I'm not tired. I'm awake. I can handle it. Do that for a few minutes, then somebody knocks on your door or whatever, you're right up. <laughs> you don't even have to think the thought of, oh, well, I was enjoying myself here, and now somebody tried <laughs> to get me out of bed. No, we don't have to have that thought, because we're ready to go. We talked ourselves into being ready to go. It's like we talked ourselves into feeling safe and secure, either while we're sitting in meditation or when we're in bed. And then in bed, it's really easy to talk ourselves into feeling comfortable. Yeah, rearrange your posture. If you feel any discomfort or anything at all, just roll over on your other side and just get really, really comfortable. Not a worry in the world now. So now we can begin to experience satisfaction. Yeah, you know, everything is okay. Everything. Yeah, anything that comes up, I can handle it happily. Got it right. So we practice there Anapanasati right there in bed in the morning, taking the deep breath. Wow, it feels so good. That, what a great day today is. I'm the boss here. We're going to run this place happily. So these are the thoughts that we have. And so when you're having those thoughts and you've got a reason to get up, it's easy to get up. If you're having thoughts like, oh, I've got so much to do today, and wow, that was so much work. And I haven't had a good night tonight anyway. Oh, I've tossed and I've turned and I had it so good and all of that. And so these are the kind of thoughts that we'll have. And that makes the day bad because we started doing that. We get this skill of, Now we're know. getting this skill of seeing the bright side of life. Begin to brighten mm -hmm. up our mind. Brighten and up the, gladden the mind. 
you direct your attention to wholesome things. So, like, direct yourself away from what's unwholesome and uncomfortable towards what's comfortable and wholesome and pleasurable. Mm -hmm. Okay, so... Do you remember very early in this conversation when you were talking about, well, what happens if you do see everything wonderful? Isn't that going to make you a lot of trouble? Mm -hmm. right? The answer is, is that you were going to make trouble anyway. Now you stop <laughs> making trouble. <laughs> yeah, you can plan on having no trouble at all. And then when it comes, you say, aha, I knew it. <laughs> Saw that coming. I planned on having no trouble at all. And guess what? That's exactly what happened. Nothing. But if we, pl if we plan for danger, if we plan for problems, then we're going to have them. An example of that is the professor that uh, has a, um, a written syllabus or the President of the United States reading a speech. Okay, it's going to be a few problems in here. But if he's natural and open, he'll tell the truth and everything is good. But you could automatically say, well, what about Donald Trump? Because he was off the script half the time. The answer to that was that that's because he wasn't even able to follow the script. <laughs> He was that untrained, that monkey mind kind of thing. So he kept following his desires, whatever he wanted, whatever personally uh, was his issue of the day, that was what he would speak about, whatever he cared about. We're, what we're coming to now is, is that we don't care about anything because everything's okay. The only thing that matters, the only thing that's really important, this next breath. Mm-hmm. Somehow or another, that keeps to be number one issue all the time. Seven o'clock in the morning, nine o'clock, 12, whatever time of day it is, there's only one thing that's important, that is this next breath. Mm. Life-giving. Keeps you alive. Isn't that marvelous? Yeah, it is. Really marvelous this next breath. This is out of Panasaki. Pay attention to how good the breath is. Mm. <sighs> so practice well, practice happily, practice having a good long, deep breath because there's nothing else that matters. Paying attention to the only happened in the past don't matter. I've heard the expression mind over matter, and you don't mind, it don't matter. <laughs> <laughs> so practice mm. well. Just everything keeps being wholesome, and pretty soon everything is okay, and then nothing matters anymore, and now you have a really happy reason. It's time. So, Jamie, let's finish now.
go practice happily for a while. Remember <laughs> the story about Pollyanna. Even if you break your legs, you can still have a laugh. Okay. Thank you very much. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye.